Uh, we're really going to try to finish the book of Hebrews by the first of next year. So within the first couple of weeks of next year, you say, why not, the, why not finish it before the end of this year? Well, um, I'm not praying for a miracle. I'll put it that way, okay? But uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be at here tonight in the Scriptures. And what a wonderful passage of Scripture we have to look at here tonight. It's fun because uh, it's the chapter of Scripture about the heroes of the faith. And I'm going to give you the first of what's going to be four sermons on the heroes of the faith in this wonderful, wonderful chapter of Hebrews, we're going to look at uh, three of them here tonight, and uh, really we're going to look at what uh, a theologian would call the antediluvian uh, period of history. Um, that's pre-flood um, period of history here, and all of the men of faith that God mentions in this chapter of Scripture uh, that came before the flood. And so Hebrews chapter 11 is uh, where we're going to pick up here in our Bibles, and uh, we'll dig into what the Lord has for us here this evening. Now, throughout the first 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews, as we have gone through the book, God has used the, the human penman, the, the human author of this letter, of this epistle, to give us a solid doctrinal foundation. Um, and the overarching theme that has been hit on time and time again is that Jesus is better. He's better than the prophets. He's better than those angels we talked about this morning. Um, he's better than any man that's ever lived, including, and who, who was pointed out in particular for these Hebrew believers, including the likes of a man like Moses, a man like Aaron, a man like Joshua, Jesus is better than all of them. And because of his preeminence, because of his superiority, um, the Bible goes on in the book of Hebrews to talk to us about the superiority of his ministry on our behalf. Because he's so much better in who he is and what he's done, now we understand that he ministers on our behalf as the children of God with a far superior ministry than what Aaron or any of the priests in the Old Testament ever could do. And his ministry is so much better because he's a superior priest, high priest, our great high priest. He has established a superior covenant, a new covenant made through his shed blood. He ministers to us through a, a, a superior sanctuary. It's not one made with hands. It's not one that can wilt and fade away. It's not like this building that starts to get old and things start to break down, but it's a heavenly sanctuary, one that will eternally be able to worship God in. It's a superior sanctuary, and all of this ministry that he does on our behalf is made possible through his superior once-for-all sacrifice of himself on Calvary. And in a nutshell, that's the first 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews. And it really is a wonderful doctrinal foundation that we're given in the first 10 chapters of this book of the Bible. And uh, with these, this great theological foundation being laid through the first 10 chapters, the remainder of the book of Hebrews, the epistle of Hebrews, is then a uh, practical outflow of what all of that uh, spiritual or theological truth naturally leads us to do. In other words, God tells us this is all true for you as a child of God, and because this is all true, this is how it should impact your life. This is, this is how it should change how you live every single day of your life. And that's what brings us to Hebrews chapter 11, because it naturally follows that if 
Jesus Christ has died once for all for our sins. And if we are forever and fully forgiven of our sins, and if Jesus has given us access to God through his shed blood to be able to come before the throne of God boldly to obtain grace and find, uh, uh, find, uh, to obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If all of these things we've already discovered in the book of Hebrews are true, then the key component to taking advantage of these things is something called faith. And that's why an entire chapter is dedicated to the study of faith um, and how essential it really is for us as the people of God to be able to understand this concept of faith. Now, we've already began in the book of Hebrews here in chapter 11 studying what faith is. The first three verses of Hebrews really outlines that for us. We already discovered from these first three verses of Hebrews 11 that faith is my conviction. Um, Faith is my confidence. It's the, uh, the Bible says in the beginning of the chapter, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is my confidence. It's the evidence of things not seen. It is my conviction. It's evidence for things I can't see or necessarily explain in tangible terms. Uh, We learned also that that faith is my confirmation, for by it, verse 2 says, the elders obtained a good report. By the exercise of faith, uh, these elders, these people we're going to talk about, these people who walk by faith in years gone by, it was their, the confirmation um, the, uh, 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 of the faith that they employed. In other words, they lived by faith, and when, they saw, when people saw God come through for them, it was evidence of the validity of their faith. All right, so it was, it was the, their confirmation. Faith is our confirmation. And then we also learned in verse number three, through faith we understand the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Faith is then my criterion now. Faith is the lens by which I view everything in life, or it's supposed to be. It's supposed to evaluate every decision I make is supposed to be a decision made by my faith in the Lord. And uh, somebody t- gives me information, I view the pro- and process that information through what God says, not through my feelings, okay? Not through what the preacher says, not through what so-and-so says. I now evaluate everything through the lens of God's word to confirm my belief in anything. And so faith becomes my criterion, my, uh, my way of forming my beliefs. It's all faith. And so we learned that a couple weeks ago, what faith is. And uh, another fun thing we looked at is uh, we discovered the difference between through faith and by faith. Uh, through faith is, uh, it refers to the process of our faith, um, how we come to actually believe something. And then we learned that by faith, it refers to the practice of our faith. That's how we come to live out what we believe. And so through faith, we believe. By faith, then, we behave. Um, we practice what we believe. And so these are important foundational things for us to understand as we continue on in this chapter of Scripture. And then this, so this brings us to verse 4 and to the, the rest of this study in this chapter of Scripture, where now, with the theological, doctrinal foundation being laid through the first 10 chapters of Hebrews and a definition or a description of faith being given at the beginning of chapter 11, the author of Hebrews, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, begins to march through Hebrew history and begins to write to these Hebrew believers 
about people from their history that they were very familiar with. And the reason he's doing it, the reason why the Lord led him to do it, was to demonstrate to these Hebrews, if you want to live a life of faith, this is what it looks like. And it's shown in so many different ways by so many different individuals in this passage of Scripture. And uh, some of these stories we'll be very familiar with. Some of these stories you might, be, not, might not be very familiar with at all. But all of these men, to some degree, exercised a measure of faith in the Lord that the Lord thought was notable enough to put down here in this chapter of Scripture for us. And as such, that it demands our attention as the people of God. And, you know, it's interesting to me, before uh, we come to Hebrews chapter 12, um, where these believers are, are, are compelled to live by faith themselves. They're first given uh, uh, an example from uh, over a dozen different others who lived their lives by faith. And it is the stories of those who have lived by faith that God uses to inspire these believers to live by faith themselves. And I don't know about you, but I enjoy reading about the stories of people's, people's lives who have lived their life by faith. Anytime I do that, it always inspires me. It always stirs me to practice that same type of faith in my own life. And I believe that's part of the reason why, why God put these words in the Scripture for us here. Wearsby, he said this, The best way to grow in faith is to walk with the faithful. You've probably heard this verse in the book of Proverbs. It says, uh, He that walketh with wise men shall be what? wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. Who, who are you walking with? And I believe that God wants us to take a little walk with some of these men who have lived by faith. You understand we can walk with, walk with, uh, walk with wise men, not just physically, but historically. We can walk through history with those who have exercised faith and learned from their lives still to this day. And so we're going to do that here in the scripture. And you know, of late, um, you guys know I've gotten into hunting, all right? I've got to blame your husband for all of it, okay? Now, a lot, a lot of you are hunters. A lot of you say, come hunting with me sometime. And uh, we, we, we've done uh, some of that. But Andy's the first one that actually kept on top of me and kept asking me and finally got me to go. And to be honest with you, the first time I went out with him, I was like, I don't even want to do this. I'm just going to spend time with this guy and because he's my friend. And then I actually get out there and Listen, the man has got me into turkey hunting now, all right? I'm teaching the book of Genesis, all right? Genesis 126 tells us that we have dominion over the, the fowl of the air, okay? So I got that one covered. Um, and it says we have dominion over the fish of the sea. So he took me fishing this summer, and now I got hooked on fishing. You know, I'm, I was hooked on fishing a lot of this summer, okay? So I, I, I've taken my dominion over the fish of the sea, okay? And now the last one is the cattle of the field. And so there we go. We got the antelope, and I'm just trying to do my God-given duty to have dominion over the earth. But... Um, I've gotten into hunting a little bit here, and far from being good at it, and I don't know that I ever will be, but I enjoy it. And you know, I wanted to learn a little bit about it. And so I didn't ask my daughter to take me out hunting. She knows less about it than I do. I wanted to go with a guy who knew what he was doing. I rubbed shoulders with him. I, I, I went several times just to watch how he does it. I want to learn something about it. If I want to grow in a certain area, then I need to put myself around someone who is an expert in that area. 
who has some skill in that area, who has some experience in that area. I believe it's one of the reasons that we need to rub shoulders with some of these men uh, and women that, that God gives us here in the scriptures today. Uh, this past week, I finished a book uh, by, by Brother Paul Chapel. It's called Outsiders. And it's just a short, uh, 15 short stories about uh, different men of faith. Some of them were from the early Christian period. Some of them were uh, from the Reformation period. Some of them were from some more recent history, like uh, Charles Spurgeon and, and, uh, and some of these others. But boy, I, I finished the book, and it was so helpful to me because here were some men, many of them, who in standing for their faith literally gave their lives. Some of them were literally burned alive and died professing faith in the Lord, glad to suffer for the name of Christ. I read stories like that, and it inspires me to live by the same measure of faith. It inspires me to keep standing for the truth in the day when the cultural winds are beginning to shift, just like they were for those men in that day and time. And when you rub shoulders with men and women of faith, it encourages you and challenges you to grow in your own faith. And I believe that's why God wants us to park here on these men of faith and women of faith in Hebrews 11. And so uh, notice in your Bibles, Hebrews 11, verse number 4. If you're still with me, say amen. The Bible says in verse number 4, By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death, and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Here's the first three heroes God wants us to learn from here in the Scripture. We've got Abel, we've got Enoch, and we've got Noah. What does God want us to learn from looking at the life of faith that they lived? Let's consider that for a few more, for more, few more moments here tonight, and let's pray before we do. Lord, we come before you tonight, and thank you for the opportunity to open your word once again. And uh, Lord, truth be told, we could park and, and spend much time on just each one of these men. And uh, yet, Lord, I don't believe that's what you've led me to do. I pray as we take these time periods of history and these men of faith within those time periods that you would help us and challenge us to learn from the lives they lived. And I pray it would stir us and help us to grow in our own faith here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Number one tonight, we're going to look at Abel. And from the life of Abel, we're going to see faith worshiping. We're going to see faith worshiping. Now the Bible says in verse 4, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice. That word more excellent, the Greek word for that means superior. Same idea communicated in the fact that Jesus is better, okay? It was a more superior sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness, or he became someone who had experienced something uh, and came to knowledge about something others didn't have any experience about. He obtained witness that he was righteous, God also testifying of his gifts, and by it he 
being dead yet speaketh. Abel is the first one of the heroes of faith listed here in Hebrews chapter number 11. And from the testimony of Abel's life, I believe what God wants us to come to understand is how we can live a life of worship to the Lord by faith. You know, worship is an act of faith. Now, modern day church culture would have you to believe that worship is a matter of emotions, of your feelings. You don't really worshiping unless you really got into it. I'm not opposed to people getting into, into their worship. Don't mistake what I'm saying. I'll often lift a hand. I'll often close my eyes and, and turn my heart to the Lord. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. But common day Christian culture would have us believe that worship is a feeling. Worship is an act of faith. And that's something that we begin to learn from the life of Abel here in the Scripture. And so as we look at his life, let's go back to Genesis. Let's read the account of Scripture that tells us his story. And go to Genesis chapter 4 this evening. Genesis chapter 4 in in the Bible. We've studied the life of of Abel a couple years ago and early on in our series in Genesis. But it's been a while since we were there. So let's take a minute to remember what the Bible has to say to us about Abel. Genesis chapter 4, if you're there, say amen. Amen. The Bible says in verse 1, And Adam knew his wife, Eve's wife, and she conceived and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. By the way, I just have to say it. I hate them. I just, I can't, just kidding. Um, verse 2, And she bare again his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth in his countenance. It's fell. And the Lord said to Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lies at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. An interesting story of what took place in the life of Abel here in the scripture. You know, Cain and Abel. They both came to worship the same God. And I believe that there was a designated place of worship. Um, the cherubim who guarded the gates of Eden, um, uh, those cherubim are, 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 are symbolic. They're, they're around the throne of God in heaven as well. Uh, there are cherubim who overshadow the mercy seat in the tabernacle as well. And there's a lot I could say about that, but I believe there was a designated place where God wanted um, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, to come and regularly worship him. And it, it came to the time of year, and they're supposed to come and worship the Lord. And the Bible says that, that Abel brought an offering that was pleasing to God, but Cain didn't. What was the difference? Well, it was because Abel put more time into his offering, right? No. It's because Abel's offering looked better than Cain. No, it wasn't why. See, the fact is, Abel offered an offering to God the way God had told him to. He exercised faith in worship. Esau went by his feelings. Esau. Cain. Jacob and Esau, or Cain and Abel. Uh, I'm preaching on too many different similar stories here. Cain, he brought an offering to God based on his feelings. He didn't like blood. Well, I'm not a cattle man. I don't want to kill an animal. 
I have a better idea, God. I have planted and I have had a great crop this year. And he put, I believe he put the be- together the best of his crop. The best of his crop, the best of the fruit that had grown off the trees he had tended to. Put it in a beautiful basket. And by reason of comparison, I would say that you and I would look at the two offerings and we'd tend to maybe want, want Cain's offering more. Just by the looks of them. But by the shedding of, but only by the shedding of, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, the Bible says. There's a reason why God wanted blood shed when a person came to worship him. And Cain tried to approach God his own way. Abel approached God by faith the way God had told him to. That's why God had acceptance of Abel's offering and not of Cain's offering here in the Scripture. And so the Bible again says in verse number 4, going back over to Hebrews chapter 11, lost my place there. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 4, it says, by faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. This sacrifice was more excellent because it was offered the way God told Abel to offer it, through blood. Hey, you go to Hebrews chapter 10, In verse 19, you remember, we learned, having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a what? A new and living way, verse 20 says, Um, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. We have been given a better way, a more superior way as well as the people of God. And the only way you and I can worship God is through faith in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the only way you can worship God. Now, you can have all kinds of emotional outbursts and all kinds of all these other things that people tell you is worship. That is not worship. Jesus set the standard for what true worship is in John chapter 4. Why don't you go over there with me? John chapter 4. I want you to see this from your Bible here. John chapter 4 and verse number 23. If you're there in John 4, say amen. All right, two of you, I'll give you the rest of you a chance to get there. John chapter 4, all right? And the Bible says in John 4 and verse number 23, uh, he, he goes in the middle of the verse and he, and he says, uh, the time's going to come when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in what? Truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Uh, God wants people to worship him most certainly and to put their spirit into it, to put their energy into it, if you would, put their feelings into it. But he doesn't just want that. He wants worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. And Abel, the reason his offering was accepted while Cain's wasn't is because Abel brought an offering to God by faith. He worshiped God by faith. And how important it is that we as God's people understand that. You understand something. Worship is not just something we come and do on Sundays. Worship is a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle. It's a type of life we live. You are either living for the glory of God or you are not. You are either living to worship God or you are not. And if you are living to try to please God by your pretty offerings... You are not worshiping by faith. You are worshiping by flesh. That's what Cain did. Hey, Romans chapter 8 and verse 8 tells us, so then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Cannot please God. 
We're going to go on in verse number 6 in a minute and discover that without faith it's impossible to please God. Abel offered by faith, Cain offered in the power of his flesh, and so he was rejected. Abel was accepted, and how important that is for us to understand. So from the life of Abel, we learn a simple truth, and that is faith worshiping. How we are to live a life of worship by faith. We've got to move along. Uh, There's a lot more we could say on that. Number two, we're going to look at Enoch. And from Enoch, from Abel, we learned about faith worshiping. From Enoch, we're going to learn about faith walking. Uh, faith walking. Now look in your Bibles in Hebrews 11, verse 5. If you're there, say amen. Verse 5, the Bible says, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation he had this testimony, what? That he pleased God. All right, Abel offered a more acceptable, a superior sacrifice, and he was accepted by God. All right, um, Enoch lived a life that was pleasing to God. Is, is, uh, there's, there's a common thread that runs through all of these things. The reason they were accepted by God, the reason they were declared righteous, they obtained witness of God that they were men of faith, was not because they were great men in and of themselves. It was because they had placed their faith in the Lord. And that is what made them stand out as opposed to all the other people around them in their generation who didn't put their faith in the Lord. That's what made them accepted, pleasing before God. And so Enoch is another man here in the Scripture who God wants us to learn about something about faith uh, here. And uh, go back to Genesis chapter 5. We've got to move along quickly here. Genesis chapter 5. And uh, we have read before about the life of Enoch. Let me read you a couple of verses here in Genesis chapter 5 and verse number 21. The Bible says, And Enoch lived sixty and five years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he begot Methuselah three hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were three hundred sixty and five years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Enoch was the first believer to be raptured. By the way, I believe there's coming a day when a lot more of us are going to get raptured. I believe this was a type, and the Lord was teaching us about a day that's coming before the great judgment. The judgment that happened in Enoch's day was by water. The judgment by fire is coming in our day, and we, the church, will not be here for that great tribulation. Praise God for that. And But Enoch, because of his faith in the Lord, he's declared righteous, and, and so much so that Enoch had such a close walk with God that For some reason, God made the choice to rapture him, to translate him, to take him out of this world. Now, here's an interesting thing about Enoch. Go over to the second to last book of the Bible, Jude. Uh, There's only one chapter, but Jude chapter 1. Jude. Go over to Jude, and let's look at verse number 14. You're still with me tonight. Say amen. Y'all look tired. Y'all get your nap this afternoon. All right? I turned the AC on. It's not working, though. And uh, Jude chapter 1, in verse 14, the Bible says, And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh when 10,000 of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all of their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. He liked the word ungodly a lot, okay? But Enoch is really the only other thing in the Bible we hear about Enoch. Enoch 
was not just a man who walked with God. He was a man who really testified for the Lord. He was a prophet in his day and time. And in a day that men were beginning to become much, much, much more and more vile, and began to declare there's coming a day when God's going to come and execute judgment upon those who walk in ungodly lifestyles. And so we see Enoch living a life walking by his faith. Now back to Hebrews chapter 11. Uh, before we move on from Enoch, let's notice what the Bible goes on to have to tell us about his walk here. Hebrews 11, verse 5, By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. By the way, wouldn't that be interesting? I mean, this has never really happened before except for with Elijah. Um, and, and when Elijah got raptured out by the chariots of fire, all the, all the sons of the prophets, they went and looked for him. Like, what if God picked him up and dropped him somewhere? You know, that's what they said. And it probably happened in Enoch's day too. I mean, you come home one day and, Where's dad? What happened to him? I'm sure his clothes were laying there, and I'm sure, where'd he go? They looked for him. They never could find him. Um, But God reveals to us later that the reason they couldn't find him is because he had been translated. But notice what it says at the end of verse number 5. God had translated him for before his translation, read the rest of the verse with me, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Enoch lived a life that was pleasing to the Lord. How do you live a life that's pleasing to the Lord? Obedience, yes. I think that's part of it. But the next verse really gives us the answer to that. The Bible says in verse number six, but without what? Faith. See, we do want to put a lot of other words right there. If you obey, you'll be blessed. If you don't obey, you'll be cursed. And that's what we learn in the Old Testament. That's what the law tells us. But what is the Bible trying to tell us here? It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And there are several things that are in this verse of Scripture for us to benefit and learn from, but the most fundamental and the most important for us when it comes to us understanding how to live a life walking by faith is that, hey, the life of pleasing God, the only way that you can please God with your life is by living your life by faith. It doesn't matter. If you keep all the rules, I'm for obeying. I think it's a very clearly a principle that's taught in the Scripture. You understand the Pharisees did keep all the rules, and their lives weren't pleasing to God. You see that? There's a lot of religious people. Let's be honest. There's probably some Mormons down the street that as far as doing good stuff, they're doing a whole lot better than you, buddy. So if obedience is how we please God, then, well, the, bar- the barometer for how pleasing I am to the Lord is my obedience. No, that is not. Now, a person who lives by faith will obey. That's the consequential thing of that. Okay, but it is not obedience that is pleasing to God. It is faith that is pleasing to God. What is faith? Faith is taking God at his word. Faith is 
is, is, is a confidence, it is a conviction in our hearts that guides every choice that we make in life. And so I don't, I, I don't obey because I am trying to please other people. I don't obey because I'm trying to, please, to satisfy an exterior standard. I live a life of obedience to the Lord because of my faith, my conviction of what God's word tells me to do. And it is the faith in God that is pleasing to God, not the other things that we would, li- that we would try to put in uh, to the gap there. And so the Bible says again there in verse 6 that without faith it's impossible to please God, for he that comes to God, there's two things it says here, must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Hey, there's really a description here of what true faith looks like in those words. He that cometh to God must believe that he is. You know, the Bible never sets forth to prove the existence of God. You go to Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, what does it say? Let's say it together. In the beginning, God. Wow. There he is. Where did he come from? We don't need to know that. He always has been, always will be. There will be a time when he isn't. That's God. He that cometh to God must believe that he is the first and most fundamental um, requirement to be able to have genuine faith. Must believe that he is and that he is a what? Let's say it together. Rewarder of them that diligently seek him. See, when we begin to come to know God for who he is, that enables us to then become believers and seeking him for who he is. For example, I learn that God is a providential God. And that causes me to trust him even during circumstances of life when it doesn't seem like I'm going to be taken care of. We heard the testimony from Brother Wilkerson this past week at the couples retreat. He began to talk about how he discovered and where the sovereignty of God became so important to him was when his 17-year-old son died. And at that point, he said, I had a crossroads that I had to come to. Did I believe that God was sovereign? Did I believe that God was in charge and that God had my good and his glory in view when he let my 17-year-old son die? See, he believed that God is sovereign. And so by faith, he began to trust that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him according to what they've come to believe he is. He said, I believe God is sovereign. And so that leads me to be able to be at peace with the fact, even though I may not ever understand as a human being on this side of eternity, that God took my son away from me at 17 years old. That's living by faith. Believing God is, you fill in the blank, and then seeking God according to who he is. That he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Enoch did that. He was a man who walked by faith. I don't know all the areas that Enoch became to, came to discover who God is and, and took God at his word, but it just came a point when God said, Enoch, I think you're, better, you're, better, you're, you're a better use to me up here with me than you are down there. Why don't you come up and be with me? What a, what a wonderful experience that must have been. And so Enoch, from him, we learn the life of a man who walks by faith. So number one, Abel, faith worshiping. Number two, Enoch, 
faith, um, walking. Number three, and we'll have to be very brief on this. It's a very familiar story. Noah, faith, witnessing. Noah, from him we learned faith, witnessing. Now, we're almost done here. Look at verse number seven tonight and we'll be done. The Bible says, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is, a, which is by faith. There is a lot tucked into that little verse of the Bible right there. But from the life of Noah, I believe that God wants us to learn what, uh, uh, what faith, a witnessing type of faith looks like. Can you imagine being Noah? The Bible says that the first part of that verse, in verse 7, by faith Noah being warned of God of things not seen as yet. God came to Noah and said, Noah, I'm going to destroy the world. Okay, what's that? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wipe out the world and I'm going to do it with a flood. Okay, what's that? Well, a flood's a bunch of water. Um, it's going to cover all the face of the earth. Nothing like that had ever happened before. It had never rained before. Okay, um, there was a mist that came up from the ground, all right? God had his own little sprinkler system all over the world uh, at that point, at point in time in history. And, and we've studied the flood uh, earlier, earlier on in our Genesis series, but can you imagine being Noah? God didn't appear to anybody else. Noah's the only one. Uh, we, we could speculate that God did to Enoch before he translated him during that same time period, but Noah's the only one. Nobody else got this news, but God comes to Noah and says, Noah, I'm, gonna, I'm warning you, I'm going to destroy this world for its wickedness with a flood. And this warning God gave to Noah, it didn't happen for over 100 years after God gave him the warning. He spent 120 years, the Bible later reveals to us, in preparing the ark. And God comes to him and gives him this warning of something that to the rest of society, it sounded like this guy was out of his mind for believing it. But Noah made a choice to believe what God had told him. Now that in and of itself, that, that, that practicing of faith, we, we could spend a lot of time talking about that there. But notice what the verse goes on to say. By faith Abraham, when he... Uh, not Abraham, by faith Noah, verse 7, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Now that phrase, moved with fear, here in the scripture, it's a Greek word that means to act cautiously or to act reverently. Can I tell you something? Hey, God has still called us to act reverently to his word. Noah, when he heard the severe warning from God, he acted reverently in, in, in response to it. He, mo- he was moved with fear, and his fear of God led him to practice his faith in God. Now, I don't know about you guys, but in, in more recent days, I've heard a lot of teaching almost against the fear of God. Can I tell you, the fear of God is still something that we ought to have as the people of God. You say, well, pastor, I, I can come boldly to the throne of Jesus, and I just don't, and I've heard people say this, I just don't feel like we should have any more fear of God. You don't understand the fear of God if that's what you're thinking. The fear of God is not like, ah, God's going to squish me. I sinned. 
That's, that's not what the fear of God is. We don't, we don't fear judgment and condemnation for our sin after we get saved. The fear of God has nothing to do with that. The fear of God has everything to do with a reverence of God. All right? I never feared that my dad was going to kill me. Literally. <laughs> But there were plenty of times I feared, what would happen if I did what he told me not to do? There is a difference, you understand. We do have a God that disciplines his kids. We learned this later in the book of Hebrews. And we ought to live with a holy reverence of God. We're not like him. His opinion is higher than ours. His ways are greater than ours. And we need to respect his word. And when God, when Noah heard this warning from God, Noah said, hey, we got to get ready. The end is coming. And he moved with faith here. But that's not where it ends. Look at the end of verse 7. It says, he moved, an ar- moved with fear. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. By the way, his life of faith didn't save anybody else but his family. And his life was very successful. If the only people I ever got to lead to the Lord through practicing my faith were those, those four girls, that'd be enough. It'd be worth it. It'd be worth it. He, he, God used him to save no one else in all the years of his preaching but his family. And uh, a man ought to live so that everybody knows he's a Christian, D.L. Moody said. But most of all, his family ought to know. And nobody else believed Noah, but his family believed him. I think that says a lot for his life of faith. He prepared an ark to the saving of his house. Now, the last part is what I really want to focus on. By the which, read the rest of the verse with me, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Hey, Noah through the life that he lived, he lived a life testifying of this judgment that was to come. I want to park here at the end because we are living in a time period very similar to the days of Noah. You understand, um, Jesus in the uh, um, in the Gospels, he talked about how in human history, in our modern day history, there was going to come a time. Uh, like, like it was in the days of Noah. And later on in the book of Second Peter, Peter started talking about how there's going to come a day when people are just going to be frivolous about God and, and stop having this fear of God and start saying things like, well, you, people have been saying that Jesus was going to come back and the end of the world is, is going to come for, for years. And where are the signs of his coming? Uh, nothing's ever happened. And I'm paraphrasing, but Peter talked about how a day like that was going to come. I believe we're living in that day today. I believe we're living in a day a lot like Noah lived in. And Noah, while he built this ark, he was also preaching the gospel. And uh, later on in the book of in the book of Second Peter, it also talks about Noah there and, and how Noah stood as a preacher of righteousness in his generation. And for those 120 years, he was not just hammering uh, hammering in nails into a uh, into an ark, but he was hammering out the word of God into the hardened hearts of his generation, trying to get them to come into the ark to be saved. And Noah, though he never had a convert except for his own family continue to faithfully preach the word, continue to faithfully testify of the word of warning that God had given him for 120 years. 
I cannot fathom that. I get depressed if somebody doesn't get saved within a month's time span in our church, okay? 120 years? Imagine that. What keeps a man going? What keeps a man uh, continuing to share his faith? Continuing to share this word of warning when no one's responding to it. I, I would say to you it is a matter of faith. Noah believed God's word. And as he came through faith in God's word to believe that a day of judgment was coming, that an ark needed to be built, and that anybody who'd go inside of it would be saved, he began to live by faith. And he preached, and he worked, and he prepared for that day of judgment. And that day of judgment came, didn't it? And rain began to fall. The fountains of the earth were broken up. But before all that, God brought Noah and his family inside that ark, and God himself closed the door, and Noah and his family were saved. And the day of God's judgment on this earth is coming, and I believe it's coming soon. With the things that we see happening, uh, I don't have time to do it tonight, but there have been things that have happened recently in this world, the, the recent peace treaty that we, see, we saw happen under the leadership of our president being one of them, uh, the embassy being moved to Jerusalem, um, these are things that have to happen before the end times come. And these are all reminders of the fact that the end is coming. I'm not going to set a date. I don't know that. God knows it. But what I do know is our time is limited before the Lord Jesus comes again. And this world is going to face judgment for its rejection of the Lord Jesus Christ, its defiance against the truth of God's word. And as Noah lived a life by faith, witnessing, declaring the word in an unpopular season when no one listened, when no one responded, as he continued faithfully working at what God had given him to do, building that ark, may we as the people of God continue to do the work that God has given us in the ministry and continue to preach the word that God has given us to declare in such a time like this. That is something that we learn from the faith of a man like Noah. So number one, from Abel, we see faith worshiping. Faith, hey, to worship the Lord is not a matter uh, solely of your feeling. To worship the Lord truly, it needs to be a practice of your faith. And how much we need to understand that. For number two, from Enoch, we see faith walking. Putting that faith, he that believes that God is, will then also put it into practice by coming to him as a rewarder of those who diligently seek him as such. And, hey, I don't know what you're going through, what area of your life you might be struggling with implementing faith in. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're struggling with provision, do you believe God is a providential God? If you believe he is, truly, by faith, then you need to come to him as the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. In other words... I believe God's going to take care of me. You fill in the blank for whatever it is. But if you're living your life scheming like Jacob, we learned this morning, that's not pleasing to God, trying to live in your flesh. The only way you can live a life pleasing to God is living a life by faith, trusting him. How important that is. So from Enoch, we learn about faith walking. And then the final thing we learn tonight is from Noah, we learn about faith witnessing. 
And would to God that we would be a witnessing church, a church that does not lose our resolve and does not uh, lose our faith in the fact that we have a God who is coming again, is going to judge this world, and he's given us a task to, to get his word out to our generation in the short time he's given us to live in this world. So are you living a life by faith? As we rub shoulders with these men and women of faith in Hebrews 11, God wants to challenge us to practice that same type of faith in the life we're living today.